don't worry, I'm not going to preach on the as good as dead part. (laughs) Telling stories is one way that we all make sense of our lives. It's a way that we find meaning. And we usually tell those stories using words, contexts, and plots that are familiar to us. For example, it's not surprising that Charles Dickens often mentions debtors' prisons. After all, his father spent time in one. Or that Herman Melville wrote Moby Dick after going on a couple of whaling adventures. Or that Beverly Cleary, a children's librarian, wrote books about Ramona the Pest Quimby. Or that Mark Twain, who once piloted riverboats on the Mississippi River, wrote books about Tom Sawyer and Huckleberry Finn and other books in which the Mississippi River plays a role. We tend to write what we know. And that's why it's also not surprising that if I were to write today's gospel parable about the watchful slaves, it would probably sound more like this. It's a cool day outside in western Arkansas, and the weather is uncertain. So a mother gathers up her son, a few toys and a snack, and heads to the gym for a walk around an indoor track. She deposits the little boy carefully at a table outside the double doors that lead to the walking track. She reminds him that she'll be right inside those doors, that she'll be finished before too long, and that then they'll go home and eat supper. She starts walking laps around the gym, and each time she passes the open doors, she looks to make sure he's still there and that he's doing okay. In fact, she can really keep an eye on him from almost anywhere on the track. He, though, is less certain of this. So he plays for a while or snacks for a while and then makes his way to the doorway, peering in. He catches her eye, giving her a look that says, I'm still waiting. I just wanted to make sure you haven't forgotten about me. She smiles back, I don't worry. I know you're still there. It won't be too much longer. She's actually very glad he ventures to the door every now and then. Because if he remembers that she's right inside, he's less likely to become distracted by other things and wander off, to forget that she's there and to forget about the supper that waits for them at home. But as it is now, she circles the track and he waits at the door, the occasional looks forming an unspoken dialogue in which each says to the other, don't forget about me because I have definitely not forgotten about you. Today's gospel parable is a parable about waiting. Now, waiting is a topic we usually talk about in December when we're in the season of Advent, not in August. But if we think about it, Advent really reminds us that, in fact, we spend our whole lives waiting. Waiting to be old enough to go to school, waiting to graduate, waiting for our vacations, for our children, for the right job, or for the day when everything seems to fall into place just perfectly. And in it all, we are ultimately waiting for God. We cast pleading glances at God as if to say, we're still here and we're still waiting. Don't forget about us. I suspect that for the church in Luke's day, this waiting was especially intense. The Gospel of Luke is thought by many scholars to have been written in the last third of the first century, maybe somewhere around the year 80 or 90. A generation had passed since Jesus' followers had watched him be taken up into the heavens and had heard the two men in white robes tell them this, This Jesus, who has been taken up from you into heaven, 
will come again in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. And yet Jesus had not returned, at least not in the way they expected him to. Instead, they were still waiting, and I'm sure wondering if they'd been forgotten. There they still stood in their own way, casting anxious glances toward heaven. Now, the gospel writer we call Luke describes this waiting as slaves waiting for their master to return from a wedding banquet so that they might open the door as soon as he knocks. Luke gives an image of what it looks like for the servants to wait faithfully. It means being dressed for action and having the lamps lit. Blessed are those who wait attentively, even into the middle of the night. Of course, the parable implies that there is always the possibility that the servants won't be found ready and waiting. They may fall asleep. They may forget that the master is coming home at all and instead get caught up in a football game on TV. Homework due that week or the already packed schedule of soccer games, projects at work, and the day-to-day tasks of running a household. They may be so busy preparing for the master's return that with the vacuum cleaner, dishwasher, and washing machine all going full force, they won't even hear the knock at the door. They may ultimately forget why waiting for the master seemed like a good idea at all and decide that answering the door as soon as the bell rings isn't quite as important as they once thought. And because how the master finds the slaves is not a foregone conclusion, judgment enters into the story, a judgment of the slaves' watchfulness and faithfulness. At least that's the way the church has sometimes interpreted this parable. Either we are prepared, faithful, and on alert servants, those who are dressed for action with our lamps lit, those who will one day in the distant future find ourselves at a banquet prepared and served by the master himself, or we are distracted, asleep, or indifferent servants who miss the master's arrival and so end up missing out on the meal altogether. But if this is the only way, the simple way that we look at this parable, then I think that we lose its deep transformative power, because I think that would be wrong in two ways. First, the story isn't only about waiting for some great banquet that we hope to attend after we die. It's also about the meals that are served to us day in and day out. This parable isn't just about waiting for the end of time, about waiting for some kingdom in the future. It is also about expecting and being ready to see that kingdom as it happens here and now. The second way I think we often tame this parable is by seeing the master's meal as merely a reward for a life of coming to church every Sunday, giving our pledge, or volunteering on some committees. All very worthwhile things I would like to go on the record uh, saying. But the beauty of this parable is that the master comes and knocks regardless of the attentiveness of the servants, just like a mother intently watches her child whether he looks her way or not. As Luke tells us, The beauty is that it is God's good pleasure to give us the kingdom. The only issue is whether or not we have the eyes to see it, whether or not we sit down at the meal that is always already offered to us, whether or not we find our unfailing treasure through trusting that it is indeed God's good pleasure to give us the kingdom right where we are. In one of my favorite books, An Altar in the World, Barbara Brown Taylor writes this, People seem willing to look all over the place for this treasure. 
They will spend hours launching prayers into the heavens. They will travel halfway around the world to visit a monastery in India or to take part in a mission trip in Belize. The last place most people look is right under their feet, in the everyday activities, accidents, and encounters of their lives. What possible spiritual significance could a trip to the grocery store have? How could something as common as a toothache be a door to greater life? No one longs for what he or she already has, and yet the accumulated insight of those wise about the spiritual life suggests that the reason so many of us cannot see the X that marks the spot is because we are standing on it. The treasure we seek requires no lengthy expedition, no expensive equipment, no superior aptitude or special company. All we lack is the willingness to imagine that we already have everything we need. The only thing that is missing is our consent to be where we are. In this section of the Gospel of Luke, we hear a lot about what it means to be a faithful disciple. And part of what it means is to wait for, be prepared for, and totally expect to see God come to us. Not just in the life that comes after this one, but also in the very next second and the one after that and the one after that, day in and day out. We watch for glimpses of the kingdom and the love that we have for one another. In reaching out to those the world has given up on, in the shaping of our lives by the gospel story, and especially in the celebration of the Eucharist, our participation in the very banquet for which we wait. And throughout all of it, as we wait and find over and over again, we participate in a sacred dialogue with God, founded in a love like that existing between a mother and a child, a love that says, don't forget about me because I could never, ever forget about you.